You're listening to the Touchdown Under podcast with Jack, Emilian, Anthony, and Arif. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Touchdown Under podcast. This is episode 11. I'm Jack, your host, and as always, I'm joined by Emilian. Hey, how's it going? Anthony. Good to be here. And Arif. Happy to be back. Now, once again, we are in different places, which makes recording a little bit more difficult, but we are going to try and get this done for you guys. On today's episode, we have a special, we have the start of a special series called State of the Franchise, and we are going to be going through uh, the NFC East and NFC West today and having like a roundtable discussion debate about the teams in each division and where we think they are as a franchise. But before we get into that, we're going to kick it off with our new segment, as we do every week. And making news this week in the league was the Seattle Seahawks, who traded for star safety Jamal Adams. Seattle are sending first and third round picks in next year's draft to the Jets, as well as a first rounder in 2022 and safety Bradley McDougald. Arif, how much of an upgrade is Adams over McDougald? I think he's a massive upgrade. I mean, we all know that Jamal Adams is one of the best strong safeties in the league, if not the best. And Brad- Bradley McDougald was serviceable in his career at Seattle, but he noticeably regressed in the 2019 season. So here we have Adams, who's quite a versatile player. You know, he can play at sub linebacker, strong safety, free safety. He is definitely an upgrade over McDougal. In other news, Joey Bosa and the Los Angeles Chargers agreed to a five-year, $135 million contract extension. The deal includes $102 million guaranteed, which is the new NFL record among defensive players. Emilian, did the Chargers give up too much to keep Bosa around? Uh, not at all. He's worth every penny. I think, you know, he's incredibly young and he's already established himself as one of the best defensive ends in the league. And, you know, I think I'm very excited to see what more, he, what, what he can do more for the Chargers. And I'm thinking later towards his career, you know, we want to, I think a lot of people definitely want to see both Nick and Joey play on the same team. So I'm hoping that, you know, sometime in the future we can get that. I agree. I think it's a pretty friendly deal for both sides. Just, I hope injuries don't get in the way. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers signed LaShawn McCoy, formerly of the Chiefs, to a one-year, $1 million contract. Arif, back to you. Who gets the most snaps in this Buccaneers backfield after the arrival of McCoy? I think to start off week one, just as that veteran guy, I reckon LaShawn McCoy will get the first shot at it. I feel like out of the two main backs they already had with you know, Ronald Jones and Keyshawn Vaughn. I think Ronald Jones takes the bigger hit here with LaShawn McCoy coming in. I think um, McCoy offers more as a, a runner than Jones does at this point in his career. But as we saw in Kansas City, there's a possibility that McCoy could fade out as the season goes on. Honestly, I think that they both get pretty equal snaps. I think this deal actually does more damage to a guy like Keyshawn Vaughn, who is or who was already kind of 
uh, in a tough spot in terms of getting rookie snaps, and now it's made a bit harder for him. I think this season might be one where he kind of takes a back seat and McCoy and Jones handle the, you know, uh, the kind of load in that backfield. Finally, we have uh, significant players who have opted out of the 2020 season due to the coronavirus, and the most notable names include Bears nose tackle Eddie Goldman, Packers wide receiver Devin Funchess, Chiefs guard Laurent Duvernay-Tardif, and running back Damian Williams, Patriots tackle Marcus Cannon, safety Patrick Chung, and linebacker Dante Hightower, Giants tackle Nate Solder, and Eagles wide receiver Marquise Goodwin. Anthony, what kind of impact do you think the opt-outs will have on the league this season? I think... So out of all the players that have left so far, there aren't like massive names, like good good players that aren't huge names yet. I think the, the most worrying concern for me out of this news, you know, putting all the health, you know, issues aside, I think I hope this doesn't snowball and then you end up having like, you know, half of the offense of certain teams, you know, end up, you know, opting out of the season. You know, this the, the only issue here is if whether this like, you know, this ends up becoming a snowball, it ends up snowballing and, you know, you end up having half the league sit out and then it becomes... I hope it doesn't get to the point where the NFL commission has to weigh up the decision to not, you know, to not proceed with the 2020 season if this gets out of hand and a lot of players are opting out. It's just a bit of a concern, I reckon. I think it's going to be a unique situation for every NFL player. Obviously, uh, you know, some will and some won't be exposed to the virus. So it's going to be a bit of a wait and see in terms of who else opts out and then who uh, may or may not get, you know, put on that uh, COVID reserve list at some point during the season. Now that concludes our news segment. So now we get onto the State of the Franchise series. This is part one of four. And today we'll be going through the NFC East and NFC West. And to kick it off with the NFC East, we have the Philadelphia Eagles. And uh, we're just gonna ask a couple of questions and then go around and um, see what we all think about uh, the questions that we ask. And the first one here for the Eagles is, how important is this season for Carson Wentz a million? I think if he goes down at any point in the season, the team has no chance. I think that they lack depth at quarterback. You know, they don't have Nick Foles anymore, and he was much more of a, a more experienced, you know, veteran system quarterback that fit well. Uh, the Eagles will have to go ahead with Jalen Hurts if Wentz can't perform this year. You know, his contract ends in 2024. The team can opt out at the end of 2021. And if he doesn't perform, I think that's the option they're going to take. Yeah, I agree with you, Million. I think, I think the Eagles, you know, drafting Jalen Hurts is simply a safety net. Just like maybe they're not anticipating um, Carson Wentz getting injured, but you know, the likelihood of it happening is more likely compared to other teams. And I think, you know, if he was to go injured, that's probably you know, it's not a very sure backup plan. But I think, you know, it's essential for the Eagles to have that because. I think for Carson Wentz especially, if he isn't able to stay healthy, you have to consider, you know, you have to ask yourself, can he be that starter going into like the 2021 season? How long can it be? How long can he be the starter with him, you know, not playing a full season being healthy? I think that's the question you have to ask, you know. It's, it's an important question coming to the season. I think it's a very important season for Wentz. I mean, what does it say about Wentz if he can't take the Eagles past the wild card around this season? He has so many weapons on his on his side. I, I don't know if the Eagles could do any more to help him out. I think it's on him this year. Kind of like Dak Prescott, I think it's on him to really, you know, take this team um, 
you know, closer to uh, that Super Bowl um, as they were a few seasons prior. And I feel like picking Jalen Hurts is actually more significant than we originally thought. I think it's a bit of an insurance plan if Wentz actually isn't who they thought they actually, uh, who, if he isn't actually who they thought he would be. I yeah. think uh, Hertz is the next guy in line. The second question for the Eagles is, can they live up to the standard that their roster suggests? Uh, I think they can and they will. I mean, you've got, you know, you've got Carson Wentz, obviously. I think Miles Sanders takes a sophomore leap. Um, hopefully, you know, if you have a healthy Deshaun Jackson there, I think he's been pretty lethal. Um, there's the addition of that speed threat of Jalen Rager in the draft, and you've got that tight end duo of uh, Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard side by side. For me, I think if everyone stays healthy, there's no reason they shouldn't, you know, live up to these expectations. I mean, they've got a similar roster to the one they had when they won the Super Bowl. Now they've got Carson Wentz there. Hopefully, if he stays healthy, we still haven't seen him play in the playoffs at all, to be honest. And I'm not sure that if he stayed healthy in 2017, if the Eagles could go all the way, because we haven't seen him, you know, in the playoffs. We need to know if he can carry this up, bring, elevate the team when it matters most. But I think that they definitely can live up to the standards that they should, depending on the health of all the players. Yeah, I made a point before in the news segment about hopefully that the um, the whole opting out of the season, you know, hopefully that doesn't snowball. We already had Marquis Goodwin, you know, who the um, Eagles acquired from the 49ers in the offseason. You know, he opted out of the, of the 2020 season. Now, hopefully that, you know, this doesn't snowball for the Eagles. And, you know, at, like their list who has, you know, their roster has so many good players in it. Hopefully that doesn't snowball and they end up having, you know, all these good key position players opt out of the season. That's a good point you make, Anthony, because they have already lost to Brandon Brooks on their offensive line as well to a long-term injury. I think uh, with Marquise Goodwin opting out due to health concerns of COVID, I think that really opens up an opportunity for rookie Jalen Rago in the slot. They kind of have a similar skill set. And, you know, they made a lot of great additions on their defense in free agency. So if everyone stays healthy, like you said, a million, they have a pretty good team here. Now we move on to the Dallas Cowboys. And guys, what does Mike McCarthy bring to this team? I don't think he's better than Garrett. I mean, we saw how much McCarthy held the Packers back. I don't see why it would be any different with a worse team, especially on offense. You know, Dak, uh, Dak Prescott is not Aaron Rodgers. And Mike McCarthy kind of refused to let Aaron Jones play his game and I just I think he's going to limit the Cowboys offense to be honest. I think the best part of the Cowboys acquiring Mike McCarthy is just the fact they have a fresh face uh, he's had a he has an overall record of 135 wins to 85 losses over his career so although the last you know couple seasons in Green Bay weren't you know, particularly his best but I think a fresh face and the experience that he has could you know I reckon has the potential for the Cowboys you know to do some good there I think McCarthy brings accountability and discipline to this team, especially for a guy like Dak Prescott. As we know, Andy Dalton is waiting in the wings if Dak isn't meeting uh, his own and McCarthy's standards. So I think uh, McCarthy, unlike Garrett, I think will push Prescott more this season, uh, which helps Dallas because then they'll be able to figure out whether he is the guy or not. And, you know, you've got a capable backup there in Dalton if he isn't a riff. I think Andy Dalton's more than capable of leading this team if Dak slips up. He has a lot more 
weapons around him in Dallas than he would have, well, that he did have in Cincinnati. So, yeah, he's more than capable. And, you know, Mike McCarthy, towards the end of his head coaching career at Green Bay, he wasn't too good, but we can't forget that he did lead them to six division titles in his time there and a Super Bowl win. Mm-hmm. So that that's something that is really important, I guess, this playoff experience that he can bring to Dallas. Arif, as, as much as I think Dalton is a capable quarterback who can, you know, potentially come in and replace Prescott, I disagree with the, with what you said about him not having uh, great weapons in Cincinnati as opposed to Dallas. He had uh, he had a healthy Tyler Eifert for a time there. He had AJ Green. He had Tyler Boyd. He had a lot of guys there, and he didn't really um, live up to expectations. You know, uh, it was thought that he would be a, a franchise quarterback in Cincinnati, and he wasn't. And I feel like he's not a better quarterback than Prescott. I think he'd just be a capable replacement. I don't think he can come in and, you know, lead into the playoffs or anything like that, though. On we go to the second question now for the Cowboys, and that is, what is the state of this Cowboys defense, Arif? I think they made some valuable additions in free agency. They really shored up their interior defensive line with the addition of Gerald McCoy and Dontari Poe. I think they have quite a good secondary, honestly. I mean, they did lose Byron Jones, but in saying that, they they have a capable corner in Chidobi Awuzie, and they drafted Trayvon Diggs out of Alabama, so, you know, they have some talent there. I think they'll be fine, because they still have players like Demarcus Lawrence and Jalen Smith. I think Leighton Vanderesh is going to improve this season. Last year, they were ninth, the ninth best defense in total yards. I think this year, we're looking more towards the 13-15 mark. I think Dallas still has an above-average defense. As you said, Arif, they did shore up that defensive line with Gerald McCoy and Don Terry Poe. Obviously, Demarcus Lawrence is still there, and you've got HaHa Clinton Dix, who they replaced um, when Jeff Heath left in free agency. I don't think they did enough to cover Byron Jones. Trayvon Diggs is a little bit of a project kind of picky, where he would take a few seasons before he really kind of challenges for a top corner spot. Um, Awizio is... Uh, he's all right. He's nothing special. And uh, I don't know, that secondary might be exposed a few times this season. They did make a nice addition in Daryl Wally as well from Las Vegas. So I, I agree with you, though. I, I feel like they might have a year or two to get going with that. We move on to the New York Giants now. And the first question we have for them is, will the offense make a jump? Emilian? I don't think they'll you know, improve much at all. Uh, they didn't do well last season. I don't think they'll do much better this year. The potential is there. You know, you've got young players. You've got Daniel Jones. You've got uh, Evan Ingram. And, of course, you've got Saquon Barkley there. So, I think eventually we'll see them jump. I don't think it's next year, though. I think they will make a little bit of a jump. I think Barkley improves this season uh, as opposed... Because he, he had a bit of a down year last year with injuries and his form wasn't as great. Um, and I also think Daniel Jones will help that offense improve, but mostly due to an op- improved output from the offensive line. Even though tackle Nate Solos opted out of the season, I'm banking on Will Hernandez improving at draft pick Andrew Thomas to lead the charge. So another, about, another point about Daniel Jones, you know, that offense, the Giants in the, in the 2020 draft, they went out and got, you know, two offensive tackles out of their first three picks. That just shows, you know, how much work they really deployed into fixing that offensive line, you know, 
Jim bring Daniel get Daniel Jones some protection, you know, there for the next for the 2020 season so we can improve. That's our right. next question for the Giants, and that is what kind of impact will their off-season additions on defense have, Riff? I think they'll come in and make a big difference. In particular, Blake Martinez from Green Bay. He's a very sure-handed tackler. I, I think he's going to make a big impact. Another guy that they got for their secondary was James Bradbury, who I thought was really underrated when he played in Carolina. And, yeah, they, they definitely made some other great additions in the draft. Amelian, what do you think? Uh, I really liked your point there about Blake Martinez. I think he was a great signing. Uh, he adds much-needed help to the linebacking core, which was definitely a big problem. And he's a young tackling machine, so very excited to see what he can do. Arif, I like your point there about Blake Martinez. I think he'll not only provide them with experience as a veteran, but he's also an above-average linebacker who improves their overall linebacker group there. You also made a good point about James Bradbury, um, you know, who is obviously replacing Janoris Jenkins, who left. I don't think he's that much of a downgrade from Jenkins. James Bradbury is definitely a decent veteran who can come in and not only provide, um, you know, veteran leadership, but also is a, you know, a decent um, corner. Anthony? Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I reckon. I think picking up the pickup of um, Xavier McKinney, McKinney from um, you know Alabama. Um, I think his his production in his you know junior season. I think he'll add you know definitely he'll add a good presence for the Giants. You know if he gets that starting job, he had ninety five tackles, three sacks, three interceptions. You know in that junior season. I think he can replicate that. In On we move now to the Washington Football Team, and our first question for them is. Is Dwayne Haskins the right quarterback to lead this franchise? And personally, based on what we saw from him last season, I don't think he is. He just wasn't really good enough of a passer for me to think that he is, you know, definitely the franchise quarterback of this team. I'll need to see much more from him this season in order to help change my mind. I don't think anyone outside of, you know, that sort of elite category of quarterbacks can play well on this team right now. I do... I do like your point, you know, Dwayne Haskins didn't play well at all, and you can't entirely blame that on the team around him. Uh, but he has a lot to improve on. I think, you know, the talent is there, though. He can definitely develop, but it's just very hard to do so on a team that, you know, offers very little help. The only help he has, really, is Terry McLaurin. I think an interesting point is, I don't know if you, in, the, um, in the news, you know, the last week, we've seen, you know, Alex Smith return, you know, he's made a lot of progress from returning from that, you know, devastating injury experience in his leg a couple of seasons ago. I think Give it more time, and we could see Alex Smith come back and potentially, you know, be that starting starting um, quarterback for the job in Washington. But, you know, given where the team is, you know, in terms of rebuilding, it, you could also say that that um, Dwayne Haskins would get that job just because, you know, he'd be that younger presence, you know, that'd be with the team for longer. Whereas Alex Smith is a veteran, so there's a lot to weigh in here. I think it's there's not just one. I really love that point you make there, Anthony, about Alex Smith. I feel like if he is ever healthy enough again uh, with that leg to play again, I feel like he will, uh, or I feel like he would be able to win back that starting job um, in Washington, especially based on what we've seen from Haskins. I feel like, um, and obviously Smith, before he got injured, was kind of in that season on his way to leading the um, then Redskins to potentially a playoff berth. And so I feel like if Smith was healthy, he would be who I'd pick to, um, you know, put under center there in Washington, Emilian. 
Yeah, and Alex Smith, earlier this week, he got clear for full activity, which is a huge step in the right direction. Obviously, he's not ready for, you know, full NFL contact, but he's definitely going to be, you know, preparing. He's going to be training, and he's going to be getting ready to eventually take the starting job, I think. Absolutely. On to our second Washington question, and that is how long until this team is back in playoff contention, Yarif? I don't think it will be for a number of years, and I think a lot of that is riding on Haskins' sophomore season. I feel like if he doesn't step up and Alex Smith doesn't come back anytime soon, they'll have a lot of trouble going back to the playoffs, especially with teams such as you know Philadelphia and Dallas improving, and even even New York. Honestly, they, they made some nice additions. I reckon if Daniel Jones plays better, they'll they'll lift as well. So I don't see the Washington football team being in playoff contention anytime soon. I like the point you made. You know, you're saying a lot of it rides on Haskins, and I agree to a point. But when you look at the other uh, teams in this division, they all have some question marks regarding their quarterbacks. I mean, Daniel Jones is quite young. Carson Wentz, we don't know too much if he can stay healthy. And Dak Prescott is asking for way too much money. So I think that with the Washington football team, the quarterback is less of a concern than the rest of the team. I think Chase Young is definitely a perfect place to start. You've got Terry McLaurin, who had an absolutely fantastic rookie season, and he's going to continue to improve. So I think, you know, I'd say give it four years, and I think they'll be ready, you know, to start competing for a wildcard spot at the very least. Yeah, I agree with you, Nathan. I think I think four or five years is probably a is like a decently... It's how many how many, you know key position players they are lacking, you know, across their team. I think four years is a decent outlook to say that they would improve to, you know, potentially make a playoff push. But, you know, given the state of the NFC East, and like you mentioned, Jack, a lot of holes that, you know, there's, there's a lot of, like, you know, quarterbacks that aren't playing consistent football right now, that give, if the NFC East continues this form for the next few seasons, you could end up seeing... Of Washington team rebound relatively quickly. Yeah, that's a good point you make there at the end, Anthony. I, obviously, it's still going to be a little while before they're back in playoff contention, but obviously, we talk about Alex Smith. If he can actually come back, then I feel like that pushes their timeline, um, you know, up a fair bit in terms of playoff contention. But obviously, there are obviously a lot of question marks at quarterback, even running back with guys. He's here, long term answer, you know, injuries, all that kind of stuff. Tight end, offensive line. There are definitely a lot of holes there and it will take a few seasons for them to really kind of, you know, contend for the playoffs. But I, I don't, I feel like four or five years is, you know, it's it, four or five years is a long time. And I feel like it might be before then that we actually start seeing some um, steady improvement from Washington million. Yeah, I do agree. You know, four or five years is a long time, but you've got to look at the rest of the NFC and how ready a lot of the teams are, you know, competing for a wildcard spot when you've got the entire NFC West ready to compete. You've got the NFC South, which I think three teams are playoff ready. Uh, and the AFC North, you know, they're always competing tough for the division and they always seem to find a wildcard spot. So, you know, four or five years is a long time, but I think the Redskins will have to wait that long to compete with those other strong teams. Obviously, the rest of the NFC is really, you know, tough and hard fought, but I'm looking more at the NFC East and... Obviously, we're talking about Carson Wentz and Dak Prescott. If those guys don't pan out for those respective teams, then, you know, they might be in the same kind of rebuild position that Washington are right now a few years down the track. So it's really unpredictable. But, um, yeah, it, it really depends on the quarterback for Washington, I feel like. Uh, hopefully, Hask- hopefully, for the sake of their fans, that Haskins can show, uh, you know, signs of improvement and promise this season. But if not, then, 
yeah, it might indeed be a few more years down the track for them. That concludes our state of the franchise for the four teams in the NFC East. And so we're going to move swiftly onwards to the NFC West. And we're going to start it off with the San Francisco 49ers. And the first question for them is, will they have a Super Bowl hangover? Griff? I don't think they will. And my reasoning for that is, yes, they they choked in the fourth quarter, but they didn't really lose any of their players apart from DeForest Buckner, who they replaced with a, a younger rookie in the draft, and also Emmanuel Sanders, who they replaced with another rookie in the draft. So I feel like they have the same kind of team there. I think their defense will similarly dominate in 2020 as they did in 2019. I think a question to be asked, guys, what do you classify as a Super Bowl hangover? Do you, do you classify that as like, you know, not winning division again the next season, you know, regressing by a couple couple wins, or do you consider a Super Bowl hangover? You know, like for me, I think Super Bowl hangover is really just the idea of, you know, letting down the expectations that you set from the Super Bowl. I think the Rams definitely did have a Super Bowl hangover. And then you look at teams like the Falcons and the Panthers, they definitely did. With the 49ers, I think it's going to be a little different. I think they're definitely going to make the playoffs again. But I don't think they'll be able to win the NFC Championship again because of how much competition there is. And I just don't think that they'll be there. Or if you made a good point, you know, DeForest Buckner's gone and Emmanuel Sanders has gone too. And you said they replaced him with younger rookies, but those guys are, ju- are just very unproven. I don't think they'll be as good as you know the people they're replacing yeah that's exactly right a million i was gonna say Arif, you know i feel like you know it's all good and well to say that you know that they they replaced them with these rookies but we don't actually know if they've replaced them until we see these rookies in action and until then i don't think we can say that they actually replaced them because buckner and sanders are two proven veterans and you know they still have a lot of value in this league compared to two rookies who have not had you know any nfl experience ever and I think it's going a bit too far to say that, you know, they've already replaced them. In saying that, though, I feel like the 49ers won't have a hangover of any sort. I feel like they'll go back to the playoffs and they'll definitely challenge again in the NFC. On to our next question for the 49ers, and that is, does Jimmy Garoppolo need more control of the offense? I don't think the run game will be as effective this year. I think, you know, the loss of Breeder is definitely being overlooked. He definitely brought a lot of speed into it. And, you know, it just allowed more rotation between the three of them. Uh, I think Jimmy G, if he, if, we, if he wants the team to succeed as well as it did last year, he's definitely going to need to step up and really take control of the offense. He doesn't really have too many weapons. I mean, George Kittle is obviously the, one of the best tight ends in the league, if not the best. Um, but it won't happen right away, especially with Debo Samuel being out for the first few weeks. Yeah, I completely agree with you, Million. I think, you know, as, as, as Riff mentioned, you know, the rookies coming in for the 49ers, you know, that aerial threat and combined with that loss of, as you mentioned, Matt Breida in the run game, I think it's a lot of pressure for Garoppolo to, you know, take control of an offense that's actually, you know, had quite a few pieces, you know, being replaced on that offense. It's a pretty big ask, I think, for him to stand up. Whether he has a talent to do that, I'm not 100% sure yet, but I think we'll see. I I agree with you, Anthony. I don't think that he's in a position right now as of this point to take over that offense. I mean, we saw what happened in the playoffs with um, the 49ers taking the approach that, you know, it ain't broke, don't fix it, just roll with the run game. They don't They don't really need – they didn't need Garoppolo in that Packers game to throw the ball for them to succeed. 
So it'll be interesting to see in the first couple weeks if they stick with that run game or they give Jimmy G a bit more control. It's a good point you make there, Riff, about, you know, if it's not broke, don't fix it. I feel like Jimmy doesn't need, you know, more control of the offense per se. I feel like the offense did just fine, you know, with the balance they had last season. And I don't see why they'll need to fix it unless teams start to catch on to their kind of, you know, zone run scheme, in which case I feel like then there'd be more onus on Garoppolo to kind of step up a million. You know, just uh, to continue on to that, you know, if they broke, don't fix it. I don't see why they didn't, well, I don't see why they changed that, you know, attitude in the Super Bowl. I mean, they put the game in Jimmy G's hands pretty much in that last quarter and it backfired heavily. They didn't stick with the run game and, you know, they caused incompletion. They threw incompletion. Uh, sorry, Jimmy G threw incompletions, threw an interception at one point. He just didn't step up when he needed to. And it's going to be a concern going into this season. That is true, Million. However, I think at the stage of the Super Bowl, at the stage of that game where they were, you know, they found themselves down, they needed they needed Garoppolo to step up. I felt like it was the right time to kind of put the ball in his hands and really see what they had in him as a franchise quarterback. I don't think it was the right time in the game to be going back to the ground because uh, it seemed as if, you know, the Chiefs had really caught on to that, um, you know, run game. And, you know, it, they, were, they were kind of forced to put it in Garoppolo's hands. And I feel like, it was the time to do that and, you know, it did backfire, but I feel like it was the right call and it's kind of a testament to, to you know, how good Garoppolo really is. And, you know, he's, he's, an, he's a slightly above average quarterback at this point in his career. Anthony? I want to point out briefly, that interception he did throw the Super Bowl was in like the last two minutes in incomplete desperation mode. Any quarterback in the league, no matter how skilled or how experienced they are, would, would have probably thrown an interception having, you know, throwing... Desperation to throw in double coverage. I don't really expect that to not be intercepted in the end of the week, honestly. It's not really much of an earnest on him. Anthony, uh, as much as uh, obviously it was a tough throw, I feel like there are a handful of quarterbacks in this league who would have probably made a better decision. And it kind of shows where Garoppolo is at this point in his career. You know, he's not a really great quarterback. He's above average. And I feel like he can be the kind of guy who can help win a Super Bowl for the 49ers. But... Yeah, I feel like there's, there are some quarterbacks in this league who would have, you know, made a better decision with the ball in that scenario. We're going to move on to the Seahawks now. And the first question is, are they a Super Bowl contender, Emilian? Uh, I believe so, absolutely. They went to the divisional round uh, last year without a run game, you know, in the last three games. Uh, they were one play away from winning the division. So I think Jamal Adams brings much-needed help to the secondary, even brings a presence to the pass rush, which we know is suffering, and we're going to talk about that later. I think that, you know, they're definitely ready. Uh, if, the, if the run game can stay healthy, absolutely Super Bowl contenders. It really, I, I think the main thing here is whether they can win the majority of their division games. We know they've had trouble beating... Um, slightly weaker teams such as Arizona, you know, losing once to Los Angeles. I, I think if they can get those division games won and win the division, they have a real good chance to progress through the playoffs past the divisional round. Honestly, I'm not too sure. Obviously, you know, divisional games are really important, but considering how, you know, they dropped some of those games last season and they still got, like, you know, they got that close to winning the division, you know, that, that last play in that 49ers. Uh, Seahawks game in, in week 17, you know, decided the division. I think those those games early on in the season, they don't matter as much. I think just coming up in the in those, you know, the, the big crucial times until the end of the season is is more important than dropping mid season games. But having said that, I think 
you know, you've got DK Metcalf entering his second season. He's going to mature even more. And um, if, if the Seahawks can, you know, keep Chris Carlton healthy, so they do have a, a healthy running game going to the playoffs. And with Russell Wilson as well, I think... Yeah, I think they were definitely in the conversation sure. even before the Adams transaction. And now that they have Adams, I definitely think they're, you know, elevated into that discussion of Super Bowl contention. And I think re-signing Jadavion Clowney would also go a long way to just pushing that. We'll move on to our next Seahawks question, and and that is, does this team have any weaknesses? And personally, I feel like the offensive and defensive lines are probably the weak links of this team, you know, but there are just so many more positives, both on offense and defense. You know, you've got Russ Wilson, you've got Chris Carson, Bobby Wagner. There are just so many guys who are, uh, you know, positives and who outweigh that kind of negative side, Amelia. I think that the offensive line, yes, it's weak. I don't think it's the biggest weakness simply because you've got Russell Wilson under center and, you know, he can avoid sacks and he can improvise really well. I think the defensive line is definitely the weakest part of the team. And, you know, Jadavion Clowney was great last year. And I think, you know, earlier this week after Jamal Adams was traded, he told Jadavion Clowney to sign with the Seahawks. Um, you know, he wants to win a Super Bowl. Jadavion Clowney also wants to win. I don't see why he shouldn't re-sign. Um, you know, if if the defensive line can't get to the quarterback, the secondary will have no chance, no matter how good it is. I think the Seahawks are adopting a real win now approach with some of their signings, especially you know they they brought back KJ Wright. I mean he's aging, he's getting up there in age. They brought in Bruce Irvin on on a one year deal. You know if Clowney comes back, he'll most likely be on a one year deal. They gave up quite a bit for Jamal Adams. Um, so I, I think they really want to win now. And the only question mark for me is their interior defensive line. I think it's a lot weaker than it has been in previous years. Yeah, I mean, like your point, you know, obviously the offensive line and the defensive line are the two main issues for the Seahawks and their team. But I think if I was going to bring up a third like issue, I mean, it's not that big of an issue compared to the third two, but I think... You know, having Chris Carson get injured late in the season, having to rely on Travis Homer for the last, you know, couple of games of the season, I think if they can get Chris Carson to be healthy, that will eliminate that weakness they have, you know, in the run game. Because, you know, if it's the team wants to make a, you know, a solid Super Bowl run, I think they need consistency. And Yeah, as Carson much as Carson not healthy, being healthy, you know, wasn't and isn't ideal, they do still have quite a bit of cover now in that backfield with Rashad Penny and uh, they recently signed Carlos Hyde. So I feel like the running game is a, you know, definitely a strength of theirs, and I feel like multiple injuries in that backfield would have to really happen to kind of derail that, um, you know, derail the their running game because it has definitely been a strength of theirs. On to the Rams now, and our first question for them is how well will the offense run without Todd Gurley? Arif? I think the <laughs> offense will run quite differently too when they had Gurley, but they do have a lot of talent in that backfield. They still have Daryl Henderson Jr. and Malcolm Brown and recently drafted. So I'll be looking to see if they have a run first approach or whether they just start throw, airing the ball out with Jared Goff as they had last year. I think we're going to see a lot more responsibility put on Jared Goff. He's got great weapons around him. You know, he's got uh, Tyler Higby, Jared Everett at tight end, and he's got one of the best receiving joys, in my opinion, in Cooper Cup and Robert Woods. Uh, I don't really have any big expectations from Daryl Henderson, Cam Akers, or Malcolm Brown, so I definitely think we're going to see a more yeah, pass-heavy offense. 
Yeah, I definitely agree with you, man. There's, I can't, can't really add much. I just don't think that there's no way that Dale Henderson and Cam Akers will be able to match what Gurley was achieving in his peak with the uh, Rams. I'm not really concerned with how the offense will run without Todd Gurley, considering how he was basically a non-factor for most of last season anyway. I feel like Sean McVay will definitely find a way to make it all work, whether he's going to implement a you know workhorse back or a running back by committee. I think the passing game will mostly stay the same. Uh, I think... I do think Henderson and either Brown or Akers could form a nice little um, running back community there for him because I, I don't think that Gurley had much of an impact last season. And so I don't think there's that much expectation on the running game in Los Angeles this year. On to our second question for the Rams, and that is, can this defense be top 10 in the league? Emilian? I definitely think it can. I mean, the loss of Corey Littleton is huge. I think, uh, but Taylor Rapp and John Johnson are both very young and they're very promising, you know, safety. So I think they'll be great assets to the defense, not to mention Aaron Donald is still the best def- uh, best defensive lineman in the league and he's still going to dominate this season. You know, he was triple teamed most of the time last season. He still put up insane numbers. I'm very excited to see what this defense can bring. Yeah, I agree, man. There's no doubt that um, Aaron Donald is the pinnacle of, of the defense for the Rams and he's arguably definitely the most consistent part of the defense. And I like I like how you mentioned, you know, Taylor Rapp and John Johnson being young players. I think I think young players like that that show a lot of, of you know a lot of upside. They aren't necessarily proven. I think it's good it's a good sign to see on a team, especially like the Rams, that they have a lot of improvement, you know, still to do. And I'm, I'm, I think you know, this Rams defense does definitely have potential, but I don't think we're gonna see them be top ten this season. Obviously they've got enormous along that defensive line with Donald. They re-signed Michael Brockers as well. Uh, they've got Ashawn Robinson. Obviously, the defensive backs are also a strong suit for this team. Obviously, Emilian, you mentioned Taylor up. He's definitely up and coming. Obviously, there's still, you know, you know still a Jalen Ramsey. However, where the Rams will fall down defensively is in their linebacking corps. They just don't really have many options, especially with the loss of Corey Littleton uh, on the inside. They really don't have many, um, you know, above average inside linebackers. And, you know, the only real move they made at outside linebacker was signing Leonard Floyd. And even he was not very productive in Chicago. And so I think that is where that, that defense will kind of fall down. On to the Arizona Cardinals as we finish off the NFC West. Our first question for them is how much will the defense contribute to the team's success compared to the offense? Uh, I think it'll contribute. I don't think it's going to contribute nearly as much as the offense simply because, you know, we saw what the offense was capable of near the end of last season. Um, but the defense, you know, Chandler Jones has been outstanding throughout the t- his time with the Cardinals and they still haven't been a scary defense in that time. Simmons fixes a huge issue, with, which was covering tight ends and he can basically play anywhere on the field. So it'll be interesting to see what the defense can do. I think Isaiah Simmons <laughs> brings a real play playmaking ability to that Arizona defense. However, I agree a million. I think the offense will outperform the defense just based on the kind of firepower they brought in with DeAndre Hopkins, getting him you know, quite quite cheap, I guess, with not, not too much draft capital. And I'll look to see that offense definitely outperform that defense in year one, possibly not later on though. Yeah, obviously, I don't think the defense will contribute as much as the offense, especially this season. However, you know, the Cardinals have an outstanding linebacker group, you know, consisting of Chandler Jones and Jordan Hicks, and a really nice secondary as well with Patrick Peterson, Buda Baker, and Robert Alford. 
And as you guys mentioned as well, as a versatile early first-round draft pick in Isaiah Simmons, who can play linebacker, slot, cornerback, or safety. On to our second question for the Cardinals, and that is, can they compete for the division title? Personally, I think it's a long shot this season as, you know, this updated roster will need time to, you know, gel and build chemistry. However, I definitely see them competing for a wildcard spot this year and potentially a couple of years down the track, they may start, you know, being in contention for, you know, winning the division title. Anthony? I think for me, the NFC West is just too strong for the Cardinals to make a legitimate push for the division title. I think the Seahawks, you know, we, we talked about them before about, you know, can they reach the Super Bowl? So I reckon them and the 49ers, you know, expect, expect to get back to the Super Bowl as well. I just think those two teams mainly, I think the Rams are also pretty strong, just I think those teams, you know, by themselves are just too strong for the Cardinals. I agree expect, with you. I think you know, both of you nailed it the on the head. I think they can't really compete for the division title, but I am strongly believe they'll make the playoffs uh, either as, you know, one of the three wildcard spots. Uh, their offense is going to be dangerous. Hopkins fits the system really well. Murray is go- only going to improve, and Drake looked very strong in the second half of last season. Honestly, they're in- the team's entire success, I think, just depends on how well their defense performs. And, you know, we're not sure right now, but I I must say it does look promising. Yeah, I, I agree a million. I like the point you raised about those three wildcard spots. I reckon Arizona has a very good chance to get that final wildcard spot, if not even higher. They have quite a bit of talent there, and I feel like once Murray and Hopkins play together more, they'll develop some kind of chemistry, how we saw Deshaun Watson and Hopkins play in Houston. That's a good point, Arif. And that wraps up our NFC West and NFC East State of the Franchise episode today. It is our first of four episodes, so make sure you tune in next week for the NFC South and NFC North. Make sure, if you haven't already followed us on Instagram, you do. That is at touch.down.under. We post all of our podcast content there, as well as content that you don't hear on the podcast. So make sure you tune in there. You're also on Twitter at the TDU podcast, as well as we premiere our podcasts on Facebook and YouTube at Touchdown Under. Thank you guys for listening and we will see you next week.